The difference between a hobby and a business at its core is radical empathy. Radical amounts of empathy. If anybody wants to make money, someone else is going to give you that money. So we have to really spend a lot of time anticipating other people's needs. And this isn't just on a business front in terms of what you're actually creating and what the product is like. It's also in terms of talking to a human being, right? And so not sending businessy emails, not talking a lot about yourself, asking a lot of questions, being truly curious, all of those things. Just the same kind of things you would employ on your first day of summer camp when you met a new friend. Welcome to What Works. I'm your host, Tara Gentili. On What Works, our goal is to break through best practices, transcend conventional wisdom, and put theory to the test. To do that, we talk to real small business owners about what's actually working for them right now and deep dive on the who, what, how, and why of how it works. My guest this week is Kathy Heller, a musician and the founder of Catch the Moon Music, a boutique music licensing firm. She's also the host of the popular podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job. Kathy started out as a singer-songwriter and found success licensing her music to TV, film, and ads. Quickly, she became a standout in her field and was featured in magazines like Billboard, Variety, and the LA Weekly. I wanted to find out more about Kathy's unique approach to becoming a professional musician and how the music licensing business works. Regardless of your passion, industry, or field, there are a ton of takeaways in this interview. Kathy and I talk about how she grappled with two failed record deals and how that led her to bigger success in licensing. Why radical empathy has been the key to creating music big companies want to license, how she did things that don't scale to get in front of the right people at agencies, and how she leveraged copious amounts of research to make big moves in her career. Kathy Heller, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's really a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So I think most people think that the way you make money with music is kind of to, uh, you know, put in the work, become a star and then earn money from recording right. contracts and concerts. <laughs> but that's not I don't think the path that you took. So how did you get started in music licensing as an artist? And then why did you actually end up deciding to pursue that route instead of, um, you know, the, the name in lights kind of thing that we we typically think of? Um, you're absolutely right. I feel like that's also what I believe to be true. I think that often we only have a very sort of, um, polarized way of looking at the world. So we feel like, oh, well, the only way for me to be an artist is to have my, you know, my, my paintings hanging down on the same wall as, you know, Van Gogh. The only way for me to be a rock star or to write music or to do anything in music is to be a, you know, world famous person like Beyonce or Taylor Swift. Um, and so I pursued that. That's all that I knew about getting to do that for a living. And so I actually got a record deal. I got dropped from a label. Um, I was at Interscope. And then I had a second record deal offered to me and then that didn't work out also that was at Atlantic but I got to um I got to see sort of what that was about and um that took time too you know getting those two things accomplished uh was not just like I walked in you know walked you know walked I, I moved to LA when I you know when I was 24 it wasn't like I just like arrived and someone handed that to me like that took time right and then that didn't happen and that was really puzzling I was like oh my god but I thought like I met the Wizard of Oz I thought this was the only thing and then it, it didn't work out and um and, and there were lots of reasons why it didn't work out um, I don't think I was the right person to do it I think they were right I think um that's not really my thing is writing top 40 hits um I think that uh, my music is a little bit different than that and I think they were absolutely right and I think it it took 
that happening twice for me to get that. And then I didn't know how to do it. Um, and so I was, I was scratching my head and I was looking into doing other things for a living. And I, I tried on all these different kinds of jobs to be sort of quote unquote practical. And I took, mm-hmm. um, I took a job in a casting office cause I was in LA and that was a job that was offered to me. And I thought I'll try that. And then I did that for like a year and a half. And then I took, um, a yoga teacher training certificate certification course. Um, you know, I, I thought that might be a way to go totally different from Hollywood. Um, and then I also took an interior design class. I took a floral arranging class. I worked at a nonprofit. I did so many things and I had this like feeling in my gut, like I really wasn't being myself. I really felt like I was trying to find a way to do someone else's life and that this whole idea of being practical was so not practical because it was making me feel depressed and all of these things were interesting but they weren't me and I knew I was not in alignment with who I am like I could just tell you know so I was settling and I wasn't happy and so I thought there's got to be a way for me to do music there's just got to be another way I mean I had enough talent right to get noticed by Mm -hmm these people. So something was good, but it wasn't the whole enchilada, but still there was something there. Um, and so a couple of weeks later, I do feel like that that saying is really true. What you seek is seeking you. And so a few weeks later, I was really on the, on the hunt. I was like, there must be another way for me to do music. And I picked up billboard magazine. I was reading billboard and the issue was talking about all these indie artists who were making a living licensing their songs. And at the time it was shows like one tree Hill, Grey's Anatomy had just started. And these artists were licensing their songs to these shows. And then they were getting their songs on um, ads like, you know, old Navy ads and, Coca-Cola ads. And I thought, I never thought about that before. I never even considered it. I didn't know it was even a thing. You know, of course I heard people's songs in movies, but I didn't stop to think, how did they get them there? And is that something that they thought about while they were writing a song? I just kind of like, you know, walk into a movie or you see an ad for something and you're like, it's all there, but you're, I wasn't really analyzing it. So I started to really think about it. I was like, well, this makes sense, you know? So I started saying, well, what research could I do on my own just to get, you know, gather more data? I start looking online. I start watching ads from Old Navy, to, you know, Target, all that stuff. And I started writing down these like things I would find. And I noticed that all these songs for ads they were really uplifting, you know, like ads wanted you to believe that like, if you went to Lowe's to go get some paint, it's going to be the best day ever. Like I just realized that all this, right. So I realized all those songs were really like uplifting. And I realized that the songs in, in movies and TV shows were a little different and they told similar stories. They told stories about overcoming things. They told stories about being there or togetherness. Um, and I realized there was like themes and I thought, what if I, thought about solving those problems, which is what I now believe is really essential in business, making things into a business, no matter what you're doing, is like helping people solve their problems. And I thought, what if I actually had that in mind and went to a recording studio and I started writing music with that in mind and and writing those stories and telling those stories and telling them in a way that would also sort of fit cinematically with the production in terms of what we would use arranging wise with, with keyboards and drums. If we could think about sort of the, uh, the, the patterns that I was hearing in, in brands and also in TV. And it worked. I started to do that 
the songs started to just come out one after the other. And then I started to reverse engineer that. Well, who do I get these to? And I started to look into that and do some research. And it wasn't easy, but I started to send emails and do some out of the box things. Like I remember once um, I put together this like really cheesy, because I'm not a good graphic design person. It was like this PDF <laughs> And it said mochas and music. And it was a picture of this cartoon girl uh, playing a guitar and then a plus sign and then a picture of a latte. And it said, um, step one, tell me your favorite Starbucks drink. Step two, I'll bring it to your office. And step three, I'll leave you with some music and some coffee and I'll be on my way. And I sent that to like 65 music supervisors and I had to research them and find their email addresses and find some way to reach out to them. And some of them I didn't hear back from, and some of them said, no thanks. But about 26, 27 of them said, sure, bring me some music, wow. bring, me some music bring me some coffee. And um, I was pregnant with my first daughter at the time. And uh, so this is like seven years ago. And I uh, I was in my like maternity car- cargo pants, super not cool, um, holding like a couple coffees in my hand. And I would walk into these offices and sometimes people would invite me to sit down for a few minutes. And sometimes people would invite me to stay for like an hour. And sometimes we would just chat and it would just sort of like naturally kind of be what it was. And I wound up um, having 26 projects after that. Literally every person wound up using my songs. Now, the thing is that when they actually heard the songs, they said, oh, this is really what I need. This is good. And um, I said, yeah, well, I I thought about what you needed before I handed you this particular song, you know. Um, And then I worked really hard to sort of um, look online and I realized there was a whole world of ad agencies, a whole world of them, and that there were ad agencies not only in Seattle and L.A. and New York City, but in Milan and in the Czech Republic and in Australia. And I realized that all these big ad agencies like Ogilvy and Gray and Deutsch and Saatchi, they had offices everywhere. And so it was really fun because I realized there were so many human beings outside of the TV and film world, which is a little bit more limited because there are just so many shows on TV and there are just so many movies in production, which is still a lot of opportunity. But in the ad world, it's like global. It's amazing. And so I started like going onto LinkedIn and looking up ad agencies and I would reach out to the broadcast producers because those are the people working on TV, stuff that has sound because print obviously doesn't have any sound on it. Um, And I would just like show up and make friends and ask people what they needed and try to anticipate that. And I started making, you know, several hundred thousand dollars a year and I had my songs and right now, actually, as we speak, I have a song running in a Walmart spot and I wrote a theme wow. song. Currently, I, I have a song that's a theme song to a Netflix show that I also sang. And I just did a Coca-Cola ad last week. But over the last 10 years, I've had my songs in many movies, many trailers and ads for so many things from McDonald's and Walmart to Special K to Hasbro to Petco to T-Mobile to um, Disney to um, Crate and Barrel, to, um, my gosh, uh, Champion Sportswear, to American Airlines. Um, I actually would need to see a list in front of me. There's just been so many, (laughs) which is so great. And then I started to help other people do that. And then a lot of other things came from that. But that's kind of the whole story. That is an incredible story. And I have so many questions just from that. Um, And I want to get to those before we kind of dive into more of the nitty gritty of how this whole thing works, because I'm sure people at home are thinking, 
that sounds incredible. Uh, how does that work? Anyhow, um, I want to go back way, 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 way back to the beginning of your story where you said you, you got those two record deals. You, you were kind of on the path, right? Yeah. Um, and those didn't work out. And nope. <laughs> I think a lot of people at that point would have uh, sort of that come to Jesus moment of like, well, I must not be good enough or I must not right. have what it takes or I must, you know, uh, kind of that ego hit, right? That yeah. would prevent them from moving forward. And obviously that if that happened to you, it didn't stop you. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the identity shift that you had to make internally to create this external success in a new way with this passion of yours. Yeah. I mean, I think I did have that feeling and that moment, which is why I spent two years off the music path and I was mm -hmm. searching for other stuff because I, I, I did have a moment where I, um, felt like that was it. You know, there was a period at the end of the sentence and there was a big no. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to listen to that. And what's interesting is I recently had Jenna Fisher who plays Pam in the office and she's now in a new yeah. show, but she was on my podcast. And she said, a lot of times there's a lot of actors in LA who they, 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 they get no, and they just keep going. And sometimes they're not listening. Like sometimes they just keep hitting their head against that same wall. And really they're meant to be a director or a mm. producer or a writer, but they didn't listen to the no. So they just kept doing the thing that actually they're not supposed to be doing and they never <laughs> get the yes. So I actually felt like it took strength because I was like, okay, no. Okay. Okay. But then I made that the whole deal. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm not going to be able to do music. And I started doing all these other things. And I started feeling like if I can't do music, I don't feel like myself. I started feeling like mm. I was being another person. And I remember one day I was driving down the street and I was crying and my tears were mixed with my sunscreen in my eyes. And I started to like laugh because I couldn't see. So I like pull over and um, I was like, I have to, I have to stop. I have to, I have to find a way to do something else. You know, I grew up in a home where my parents were not happy. My parents had a really hard marriage. They eventually got divorced. Their divorce was like a relief because the marriage was so toxic. My mom was so unfulfilled. My mom has so much talent. She always wanted to do Broadway. She always wanted to do sort of jazz standards and singing. She never did it. Um, she used to tell me how much she sacrificed and she was so frustrated. And my father is like filled with rage and had like so many of his own issues. And in my house growing up, I just always wanted to go somewhere else. I wanted to get away. It wasn't a really safe, fun place to be. And I always had music as sort of my thing that made me instantly happy and feel better. And so I always had this dream all through my life, the thing that kept me going through some of the really hard times when my parents broke up and my mom was, you know, really, really in a, an intense depression for a lot of my life. I just kept thinking, you know, one day I'm going to write music and that fueled me, that got me through it. So when that was taken away, I didn't have that to look forward to. And I realized that life didn't feel good because I wasn't doing the thing that really was that thing that always was my joy. It was just that low hanging fruit 
It always made me happy. And And I needed it in a way. I needed to express myself because I had so much going on that even if I was writing an uplifting song or an overcoming song, like that song Fight Song by Rachel Platten, that would help me. That would help me just release some of that stuff I'd been carrying all this all this time. And I think for a lot of artists, that just is sort of our way. You know, whether you're a potter mm-hmm. and you sit at that wheel, it's cathartic. It feels good. You know, whatever it is you want to just get out, that's your way. So I realized I have to do this. And I realized there must be another way. You know, there must be another way. But I didn't have that answer key yet. And then I found that article and I and I could have, I guess, like other people just gone, oh, well, good for them and, and put the magazine down. But I thought, no, I'm determined. I decided I was at a place where I was absolutely determined to find a way to show up in the world as myself. And I believe that that is so out there for every human being. I think that every person has their thing. And I think we each have a thing that when it's expressed in a certain way, it also makes the world brighter, better. And I think that every person can find a way to make a living, but it takes some introspection and it takes some exploring and it it takes some start and stops because sometimes we got to try stuff to figure out, you know, what works and what doesn't. And we got to be willing to put in that quest. Um, And so then I really tried and look, it's not like every single license came within 15 days. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I had to do some work. I had to write some songs and then I had to really work on making those songs, not just things that I enjoy writing but things that really served the storylines of of the, the the people I was hoping were going to cut me a check it had to be something that they needed so I had to work on finding that sweet spot of things that felt really like me and authentic otherwise they wouldn't choose them they gotta feel real and yet they had to really be the things that they needed so that took some time but I would say within a year and a half I was making really decent money so it wasn't awesome. once I was on that path and I understood what I was setting out to do, it it sort of took off. Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought up the Billboard article again, because I want to touch on that just a little bit further, too. Um, you know, I think someone else reading that article or seeing that feature would say, like you said, uh, oh, that's good for them, and then move on. They might also say, well, you know, all these other people are doing it. it there must be you know, it's it's too full for me. It's too competitive for oh, me. Right. There's always that. Yeah. Yeah. Can you kind of talk me through your your thought process there where you you knew there was going to be a hole for you, even though other people were filling that need? Yeah, you know, I um I hear that all the time and I get that. I, I I once in a while, you know, hear that in my own head, but I kind of like shoo that away really quickly because I just don't have that outlook. I feel like, you know, if there's tons of people blogging about fashion and you want to be a fashion blogger, then that means there's a really a market for that. So like it's been proven. You should do it. Yeah. You know, how many times have you seen a coffee shop and then another coffee shop goes up like three doors down and it does great. It's fine. There's enough for everybody. Everybody sort of has their tribe. Everyone has their way. In fact, when I wound up starting my second business alongside my my songwriting business, which was being an agent and helping other artists, I remember many people asking me like, why would you do that? You're going to share the contacts that you worked so hard to have with these other artists. And I, I just didn't have that scarcity. I felt like no one can take your destiny because when you went to high school, you had your group of friends and everybody else had their group of friends. And there were people that you connected with and there were people that you connected with less. So I kind of feel like everyone's got their flavor. And even with my own music, there's so many things that I've been right for, which is fantastic. And there's tons of things that I wouldn't be right 
for because, mm-hmm. you know, there are bands like, you know, Eminem and there are artists, you know, who are writing things who are Snow Patrol. Like we're just all so different and no one can take what's yours, you know. Now it's possible it could have, I could have tried it and it could have turned out that I wasn't fit for that either. And maybe it would have found, you know, maybe I wouldn't have found a place in that. And that's also, I would have had to own that and then try something else, you know, try another way to do music for a living. Maybe I would have been teaching music or maybe I would have just been an agent and, and just been getting, getting to be involved in music all the time and wearing headphones and pitching music and listening to music, who knows, or being on the other side and choosing music for the ad agent. I don't know. I would have found mm-hmm. other ways to be in music, but um, I do believe that if it is right, meaning like if it really is the thing you're great at um, and the world is saying yes, then there's enough room, but we do have to have the courage to try and we might be told no. And if you get told enough times, then maybe you do have to realize, no, you're meant to be on the other side. You're just really good at identifying great music. So you should be the person choosing the songs for NBC. You know, so all of that is up for grabs. But if it's something that you are good at, I believe there will be room for you. I believe there is always room for a person who's doing the thing that they're good at. If they really are good at it and it serves the world because the world is saying yes, there'll be plenty of room for everybody. Just like when I started my podcast, there's room, you know, how many people can you follow on Instagram at one time? Lots. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I love it. I, yeah. Um, uh, so let's bring it back also to to this mochas and music idea because I oh, love right. that. And yeah. I love, um, you know, it's that whole Paul Graham, why Combinator do things that don't scale thing, right? You can make a lot of money doing things one at a time. Um, yeah. You know, I think in, in this very leveraged, very scalable world, it's very easy to forget that. Um, but I'm sure the way you've developed uh, relationships or currently develop relationships with brands and with agencies now has evolved. So what are some of the things that you're doing now to establish new relationships, to reach out to new agencies, um, to, to just make the connections that you need to make to get your music placed? Yeah. So it's all about solving other people's problems. The difference between a hobby and a business at its core is radical empathy radical amounts of empathy. If anybody wants to make money, someone else is going to give you that money. So we have to really spend a lot of time anticipating other people's needs. And this isn't just on a business front in terms of what you're actually creating and what the product is like. It's also in terms of talking to a human being, right? And so not sending businessy emails, not talking a lot about yourself, asking a lot of questions, being truly curious, all of those things just the same kind of things you would employ on your first day of summer camp when you met a new friend. It's the same deal with that. But also from a product standpoint, whatever you're offering, whatever it is, whether you're going to start a yoga studio or you have your floral business, or in my case, with my music. So I'm constantly thinking, what else can I create with my two hands that is going to serve my audience. Okay. So in my case, my audience, the people buying from me are people choosing music at trailer companies, Paramount, Lionsgate, NBC, ABC, Fox, um, all the ad agencies. So what do they need every single day? So my job is to go ahead and ask them. And in addition to asking them, look at what it is they're using and try to 
try to figure it out because it's already out there, right? I can go on to Google and see the last 12 songs from any TV show. It's all Mm -hmm. there. I can watch all the trailers for all the new shows and I can see what Zach Braff's, what the the song is for all of the promos. I can see it. I can find it. I can find it in 30 seconds. And so I can start writing down the names of those artists. I can start buying those songs or making Spotify playlists and just really absorbing them. And I can start to understand, okay, this music supervisor at this show really loves these kinds of songs. So then I can start to build as much of a resource for them. So I can make those songs as an artist, but then I realized if I had an agency, I could have other artists out there right now while I'm creating music, I could have other artists also creating music that would be slightly different than mine because they're different and every person is different. And so they could also be taking that charge and listening to that sort of mission and creating those songs in their own way. And then when I reached out to this particular person at NBC or at this show, I could say, here's a playlist of eight songs from four different artists who really thought about you and are doing their own thing and tried to make something that felt like them that also felt like something you could use. Wow. That help, that's, that stands out. What most people do in any business is goes, here's what I made. What do you, do you want it? Do you want it? Here's what right. I made. Here's what I made. Right. So they're just thinking about themselves and they go in their kitchen and they make their cake pops. And then they wonder like, why is no one coming to buy them? You know? So we have to create, it's like taking people on this journey of trust and it means consistently showing up. And even if you don't hear back, not getting upset, but scratching your head and saying, well, either they were busy or they didn't like it. So I probably need to anticipate that and create something new and then reach out again with something else. So it's the constant putting it on myself and saying, what else can I be making? What else can I be creating? And then I thought about other ways of figuring out how to get to them. Because in in a lot of ways, just sending emails sometimes doesn't work. So I actually created other ways of finding them beyond the milk is in music. And one thing that I did is I started, I started doing live events in LA called Sync Keeper. So licensing music is called Sync. That's what it's called. It's called Sync Licensing. So I started something called Sync Keepers, which is like gatekeepers. Sync Keepers was meeting the gatekeepers. And I started to reach out to these people and say, hey, there's a theater in LA I've rented. I'm doing this workshop for songwriters who are aspiring. Would you come and be on a panel? I'd love to interview (sighs) you. And people love, people love to give their advice. Because they (laughs) have advice to give. They do. They have advice to give and they don't often get told how important it is, what they know. And it is is very important, especially to up and coming artists. So they, most of the time, I would say 98% of the time would say absolutely yes. And by having them there, they got to know me a little bit better. And they saw that I was truly grateful for them, generous, cared about them, which it's all true. I mean, I love these people. I think they are truly music fans. And I think they're unsung heroes in many ways. And the label people get the credit. And I think a lot of times these people choosing music are really finding the next Bruno Mars. But anyway, that's besides the point. So I had them (laughs) there. And I also made money hosting those workshops because people would pay to come. So it was a really nice idea. And um, that was another way that I started making relationships. And it it was another way of thinking, 
How can I be out of the box instead of just being another person interrupting someone's day going, hey, can you do me a favor even though you don't know me and listen to what I have because I'm really pitching you something? I thought, what else can I offer to them? Can I offer them a sense of purpose by coming to my workshop? Can I send them coffee? Can I tell them that I've anticipated this? Can I send them an email that's just talking about them and telling them that I watched them, you know, them go live on Instagram and I love their black lab and ask them, you know, why they love red licorice. I don't know. Like it's, I sort of try to turn things on its head. I don't really send, you know, I don't send email blast. I'm not a very typical businessy kind of person. So I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking us through that thought process because I know a lot of people are going to have a lot of takeaways from that. Um, I want to get back to you uh, representing other artists or working with other artists uh, with your licensing company in a minute. But first, um, I'd love for you to kind of talk us through the process of a deal because it sounds to me like I had a different idea of how it worked than how it, it maybe it in fact works. It sounds like you're bringing songs to companies instead of them coming to you and commissioning a song or requesting a song. So can you, can you talk us through what, what are the steps in this process of getting that first inquiry, negotiating the deal, delivering the song? What does that look like? Okay. So you are actually correct. How it works (laughs) is on a daily basis, my agency, it's called Catch the Moon Music. There's a few of us who work here. Um, Thank God for those two amazing women, Victoria Carter and Sonnet Simmons, Matthews. If it wasn't for them, I don't know. I'd be (laughs) overwhelmed. Um, So uh, I hired them. I was doing it on my own for three years and then I hired each one of them and they're amazing. In any case, every single day at Catch the Moon, we get requests from ad agencies, TV show, films, trailer company. And those folks say, hey, do you have a song about summer? I'm working on this campaign for Twizzlers and blah, blah, blah. Hey, do you have a song about a, you know someone overcoming something? Do you have a song about female empowerment? We get that every day. We probably get like eight of those a day um, because they don't come in these blasts. It's not like every person mm-hmm. gets them. They Each person at these different um, TV shows and ad agencies, they reach out to like a handful of people. They don't want to be inundated. So they reach out to the people that they think creatively have the kind of song they need and also from a business standpoint who they think that they can trust who can send them stuff that's not copywritten infringement all that you know what i'm saying so they reach out to like a handful of people um and so we get like eight of those different ones a day which is cool and it takes us like 45 minutes to sort of put together um a folder for each of those and we look through what we have and we say oh yeah here's the songs i think would work so when you say i didn't know you were reaching out i thought you were getting requests so what I'm saying and what I teach artists is ahead of time, it, before you're getting that, right, before you're lucky mm-hmm. enough to be asked, you can be anticipating what people need. And that's why I would say we reach out, you know, like we just yeah. sent out a playlist of Mother's Day songs. We have a song called I'll Be By Your Side and Count On Me, songs that are like sort of good for a Mother's Day spot or a spot in a, in a TV show between a mom and a daughter or a mom and a son, whatever. So... um anticipating people's needs is sort of like a, just a good strategy. But yes, you get asked. And then what you do is you send over the music. And then if they like it, you'll hear back like within a week, a few days, and they'll say, hey, you know, we like that song called Feel So Good by, you know, Jacob Smith. Um, is it is it available? Yes. We, of course it's available. We already sent it to you. Okay, great. <laughs> um, we're looking to pay like 30000 all in. Um, does that work? We'll write back. Yep. 
And then they'll say, okay, great. So um, can you send us um, the instrumental as well? You know, the song without the vocal, because we want to be able to edit it. Absolutely. Sure. We'll send that over. And then um, they'll send us the actual deal memo. We'll sign it. And then there you go. So that's how that works. Often the reason why um, I think people sometimes choose to work with us is because we try to work with artists who we can clear things right away, meaning they don't mm-hmm. have a publisher or a label. Because if it's if it's not, it, it's all it's all still doable. It just takes a little more more work. Then the person has to go. Okay, so you you're representing the artist on let's say the the publishing side, but okay, this label owns the master. Okay, now I got to call them because music is sort of um, divvied up in different ways. Somebody owns the actual recording, somebody owns the writer share. So in our agency, we work with artists who represent themselves mostly, um, and we try to find artists who are really good but just don't have record deals because it just makes it super easy to clear the music. Also in the sense of record labels sometimes have a precedent and they won't clear things for $100,000. They'd rather keep a precedent for their bigger premier artists. So even for their lower level artists, they don't want to give a song away because they want to sort of keep a precedent. Like at Sony, we only take this because they want to keep you know, sort of their bigger artists in mind. So for us, getting $75,000, which we just got for Chico's was like, a gift. We're ecstatic. You know, that's amazing. Um, and we feel so grateful that brands will spend that kind of money for indie songs that have no radio play and whatever. Um, it's a great way for indie artists to make a living. And I, I, I mean, I've seen it over and over and over again. I just walked to the mailbox right before this interview and got a check for an artist for a TV show. Um, and TV shows, by the way, pay less than ads. They pay, but this one was it's ten thousand dollar check for a song that was used for like forty five seconds. Amazing. Um, and are those exclusive yeah. deals typically? So they're not. No. Okay. Um, licensing deals are not exclusive for the most part. Sometimes they're exclusive for like three months. For that kind of brand. Like sometimes okay. you'll do a song that gets used for Ford and they'll say, we're going to use this for the summer. So don't have it in a Hyundai commercial at the same time. <laughs> right. But often, often they don't even want that because if they get, if they, if they get something exclusively, they have to usually pay you a little more right. and they don't usually care because it's not like it's Katy Perry's song that's everywhere. So it doesn't really matter because it's an indie artist. They're not afraid that everyone has heard the song. Fascinating. So you're, you're essentially creating a product then, uh, like we do a lot with digital products where it's, it can be used and paid for over and over again without you guys having to do significant amounts of more work, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm the song that's right now running of mine in Walmart. It's called Let Your Color Shine. And it's been licensed to Keurig Coffee. It's been licensed to a few different, um, other ads as well as, um, as well as movies, Awesome. That's so cool. I'm learning so much. This is fascinating. Okay. Um, I'm mindful of our time here. So I'm, I'm kind of, uh, economizing my last few questions, but I do want to find out more about how you made the decision to start working with other artists. I mean, it makes, it certainly makes sense from a, uh, standpoint of like how you scale this thing up, how you create, uh, more leverage in your company, but can you walk us through how you approached, uh, bringing other artists into your agency and how you work with them on a regular basis? Yeah. I mean, essentially it kind of happened to me in a way, you know, Mm. oftentimes, oftentimes the universe will sort of like 
send you a big red flag, like do this, do this, you know, go, go this way. And you sometimes ignore it. Um, (laughs) so when I started doing well in licensing, I had articles written about me. There was a full page article in Billboard magazine about me with my picture at the top of the page. It was really sweet. And then I had an article, same full page in Variety. Um, there was also a full page article about me in the LA Weekly and Music Connection. There was a bunch of articles written about me. They were all kind of telling the same story about this like DIY hustle, this girl who kind of made her way, um, licensing her music. And when that happened... I got a tremendous amount of response from other artists. So I thought when I had these full page articles that I was going to get another record deal. I was like, oh, I'm in Billboard. Someone's going to call from another record label and offer me a deal, which would have been actually not good because I wouldn't own my publishing anymore. So all this, you know, the, the ease of being able to license my music and the money I've been able to make would have gone out the window. So it all worked out. But um. I still, I still was thinking, oh, maybe this is my way back to that, you know. In any case, I wound up getting emails from artists. That's who I wound up hearing from. Like tons of artists would send me emails and say, "Hey, I just read about you. Um, can you can you tell me what you did? I'd love to take you to lunch. I'd love to bring you coffee, like you did for those people. Can I bring you coffee?" I got so many. I would say thousands of those emails. Um, I was interviewed on people's podcasts, music people's podcast. I got thousands, honestly, thousands of emails from people saying, I'm hearing your story. I want in. Tell me what you're doing. And um, I kept looking at my husband and he kept saying, you should start an agency. And I kept saying, what's that going to mean for me as an artist? Are people going to see me the same way? Are they going to think I'm legitimately talented if I'm now a business person, if I'm repping other people? I don't know. And I was really hesitant for like a year and a half. I just kind of sat on it. And then... um, my grandma passed away and she was my biggest champion in life. And I miss her so much. She was one of my, she was like my North star in a lot of ways. And she used to say, my money's on you. There's nothing you can't do. She was, you know, every grandma like loves you like that. And in any case, um, I felt like, you know what, why am I playing small? Why can't I also do that? And it wound up actually being the case that when I started an agency and I started helping more artists, and I'm not just saying this because you got anybody could research my career and see that this is true. After I started the agency, I made three times what I had made myself as an artist. I'm just talking from my wow. own songs. The opportunities for my own music tripled. And I think it was because I had more to offer. And so I was more front and center for people. They were like, oh, Kathy Heller, you know what she did? She's not just offering her own catalog. Do you know that she went out and she found these other artists and they're all really good? And, you know, we should write to her because she might have more songs now. And then the more they would write to me, sometimes I would actually have the song for them from my own catalog. And I hadn't just been in on it. I wasn't in the loop beforehand, but now I was more in the loop from them all the Mm -hmm. time because they were like, oh, she has a whole bunch of stuff she can offer. Let's hit her up. Let's see what she has. She's so easy to work with. And, um, you know, whenever I used to get a license, I would send people like cupcakes or donuts or flat. Like I'm so grateful. And I think that that doesn't hurt in life. And I really mean it. Like I, of course I was grateful to get a $65,000 $65,000 check for McDonald's. Of course I was grateful. I was freaking out. So what did it mean to me? It was no skin off my back to thank the person who made it happen. So I would send them stuff. So um, it, yeah, I started working with other artists and then 
then I started a course for other artists because I realized once I started a company that I would get tons and tons of submissions mm-hmm. and 99% of them were unusable. And it was because people were sending songs that just don't work for ads. They don't work for TV. They were like demo sounding. They're like about breakups. They're sort of ballads. These are not the songs that if you really do the research, there's not a lot of slow songs in ads. And in TV and film, if it's going to be slow, it's got to be cinematic. It's got to be about a universal message. Like the theme can't be about this girl named Peggy. It's got to be about (laughs) some word like shelter or, you know, something that just really fits the moment. And there's only like 10 storylines that keep being told. So you got to kind of fit with that. So I decided I'm going to start a course to help songwriters so that they know what they're doing because they're just going to keep hitting their head against the wall if they don't do what I did, which is reverse engineer it and begin with the end in mind. So I started a course um, and I have a course called the Access Course, which gives people access not just to figuring out what they need to know, but I also introduce them in the course to music supervisors at these big um agencies ad agencies and i also pitch their music when it's great and we just pitched somebody we got we've gotten a lot of people big ads which is fun starbucks and coors light and um it's just been a blast um and uh and i i that course went crazy i i wound up making seven figures from doing that course because there were so many people who needed that information. And that again was just something I started. I didn't even know. I never know what I'm doing. I'm sort of like building the engine while I'm flying the plane. I'm just starting. Absolutely. Like any good entrepreneur, right? (laughs) I think so. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. um, As we start to wrap up here, I'd love to just hear about more of what you're working on right now, because I know uh, the the music licensing company has been around for a while now, and you you mentioned uh, the podcast that you're working on and just want to hear what's up for you for 2018. So um, thanks for all of this. It's so nice. Everybody wants to be heard. So it's so nice that you make a space to like, (laughs) what's going on with you, Kathy? Um, So what's going on right now is I started a podcast as a side hustle, which all of these things were, you know, my course was a side hustle to the agency and the agency was a side hustle to my own music. And I've just kept them all afloat by having amazing people who I kept bringing into the team. But um I decided about a year and a half ago to start a podcast because one of the girls in my course said to me, you're so inspiring. And what you're saying about reverse engineering and just starting and being more personable than you are businessy. She's like, all of the things you're talking about would relate to any person who's a creative entrepreneur. So why don't you start a podcast? And I thought, all right. And I have three kids and my youngest was two weeks old at the time. My children are now 18 months four and a half and six and a half. And at the time, this was a year and a half ago. So my daughter was two weeks old and I thought, you know what? Fine. I'll just start it. And so I started this podcast and I thought I'm going to call it. My husband came up with the name. It's called don't keep your day job. And the purpose of the podcast was to help people figure out what do you really want to do if you didn't have a day job? What is that thing that calls to you? Do you really want to make stationery? Do you really want to start your own cupcake business for vegans? What is it the thing that you really wanted to do? And how can I help you feel more purpose? I feel like what I learned growing up in my childhood from seeing my parents so unhappy is that I think depression is something that's so easy for people to feel if they don't feel fulfilled. They don't have a sense of purpose. And I think everyone's so thirsty to feel that like alignment with like, oh yeah, this is me being myself and it contributes to the world. And so I really felt like I was on a mission to do it. And I started the podcast and um, it wound up taking off. 
it wound up taking off and I, it's something I do now and it's kind of become even more front and center. Um, and I get to interview really successful creative entrepreneurs like Bobby Brown from, you know, she made the most amazing makeup line that she just sold for a billion and a half dollars. Jonathan Adler, who started out as a potter, who then went on to be this incredible decor master. Mm -hmm. um, Mandy Moore, um, Ed Begley Jr., Emily Giffen, who wrote Something Blue, Something Borrowed. Uh, I just have, I've had Gretchen Rubin on my podcast, Seth Godin, who's incredible. Um, it's a Jenna Fisher from The Office. So I've had all kinds of creative people on the show, as well as people who just want to talk about what makes business work. And um, the show is aimed to help people see their own brilliance, get out of their own way, um, and have the tools to get started making their stuff. So as a result of that, um, I've now created a course to help people um, if they want to, you know, how do you quit your day job and do the thing you really want to do and feel more of a sense of purpose? Um, so I'm working on that and I'm writing a book for Macmillan, which is all based on the same stuff. And it's really fun. It's, I get to meet people like you. <laughs> awesome. Well, it, it sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I just want to thank you for this fascinating conversation because I learned so much. I, I Just as you said, everything that you said about your uh, music licensing company, I think applies in so many ways to so many other people's businesses, no matter what field or industry they're in. Uh, so I just, yeah, I just want to thank you. I am so, so grateful for an interview that was just packed with takeaways. So Kathy, Heller. Thank you. Oh, that is so generous of you to say. And thank you for asking such great questions and for being truly interested. I can, I can, I can tell that you really care. Um, and it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Find out more about Catch the Moon Music at catchthemoonmusic.com and listen to Kathy's podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job at don'tkeepyourdayjob.com. That's it for this week's episode of What Works. If you love getting a behind-the-scenes look at how real small business owners are making it work, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. We also appreciate you leaving a review and sharing the podcast with your friends or colleagues. What Works is produced by Rosie Medias and edited by Marty Seafelt. Kristen Runvik prepares our show notes. Our opening music is by The Shrugs and our ad music is by Marley Carroll. Tune in next week for another look at how small businesses actually work.